Well, we're going to uh, take a break from Genesis this morning, and so I would encourage you to go ahead and open your Bible to the book of uh, Peter, Second Peter, chapter 1, is where we're going to be this morning. Well, our world is not the way it's supposed to be. This has been a consens- consistent theme uh, through the book of Genesis thus far. Uh, Adam disobeys God, sin and death enter the world. Cain kills his brother, Abel, and apart from Noah and his family, God destroys the inhabitants of the world for their wickedness. Lot, the nephew of Abram, chooses to live near the, and and really ultimately within the city, the wicked city of Sodom. God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. The daughters of Lot get him drunk, and then they both conceive a child by him in his drunkenness. So throughout the Bible, we, we continue to see that humanity shows its rejection of God and his authority. Man, created to bear the image of God, instead repeatedly rejects him and his authority. So this continues to be the plight of man today. Uh, the world is not as it's supposed to be. At times in our modern culture, uh, we, have been call, uh, we have called good evil and evil good. Many in our culture today say that it is intolerant or even hateful to call others to obey God's commands. Some would go on to say that it is loving to allow others to indulge in their fleshly desires. We're told to look inward to discover our identity. Well, this this might make sense if you reject God and his authority. There's some rationality in this way of thinking if there were no creator, no purpose, and only random chance. But even then you might want to call into question the very idea of loving and hateful if that were so. What does not make sense is for some Christian people to attempt to assimilate this kind of thinking while simultaneously holding to a belief in the God of the Bible. We need only to look at the book of Isaiah to see God's displeasure with those who distort his truth. In Isaiah 5, verses 20 and 21, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. We need only look to the book of Psalms to see that looking inwardly will not reveal our God-given identity. If we look at Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So we are corrupted by sin in our fallen state. We we must look elsewhere. Our true identity can be found, but it can only be found outside of ourselves and ultimately only in Christ. For it is Christ uh, that is for it is in Christ that corruption is purified. Only by repenting of our disobedience and rejection of God and trusting in Christ alone 
Can we ever truly be those who he has designed us to be? For it is in Christ that we fulfill our intended design to bear the image of God fully for his glory. So, how are we to live as Christians today? What are our lives to look like in a culture that is increasingly hostile towards God and the gospel? Well, I would invite you to look here with me in the book of 2 Peter, where we find Peter addressing a very similar question as false teachers have come into the church and they're encouraging the church to live in a very worldly, sinful lifestyle uh, way. So if you would, if you've found Second Peter, if you would stand with me in the honor of God and the reading of his word, let's read Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in them, uh, in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you would reveal yourself to us. And so, Father, we pray as we study your word now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our lives that we would hear from you, that we would understand what you've called us to. And Lord, may we be faithful to be obedient to that calling. So Lord, we glory in the fact that we are saved and we're redeemed by the work of Christ. God, we're so thankful that you provide for us. And God, you've brought us into your family. And so, Father, we pray that our lives would look like you, that they would point others to you, not because of who we are, but because of who you are and the work that you do in our life. 
And so, Father, may we do that. May we, may we live in a godly way that points to you. And, Lord, in that may we find assurance and know that we will be with you for all eternity because you are working these things out in our life because you have, in fact, saved us and redeemed us. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you this morning. Uh, we pray that our worship is honoring to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, I want us to see three things from our text. The first thing is a gracious truth that is really it's foundational to everything that will come after it. The second thing is a godly life that flows from this foundational truth. And the third thing, or lastly, a glorious end that is secured by the truth and evidenced by the life. So let's look at this gracious truth that we find here in First, uh, Second Peter chapter 2. And really we, we can find it most, uh, most specifically in verses 1 through 4. So Peter starts his letter with a really a basic greeting, right? He, here's the sender, Simon Peter, and, and here's who the recipients are, and, and then there's the blessing, right? And so that's kind of verses 1 and 2, but I I do want to note just two unique statements here in this greeting before we move on to verses 3 and 4. First, in verse 1, Peter explicitly calls Jesus God. Now, this is important as you you were reading through this, or I was reading through this, uh, uh, you might have felt some ambiguity in the chapter as to who all of the he and his and him reference Um, I think here that Peter's focused on Jesus, but because he is God, sometimes he's using language here that is generally reserved for the person of the Father um, in in other parts of Scripture. So just one quick example of this comes from verse 11 where Peter says, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of who? Who? of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? In the New Testament, the kingdom is usually referenced as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So that's just an interesting thing there that he's, he's connecting the fact Jesus is God and the kingdom is Jesus's. And so he, he tends to use that language uh, with some fluidity here in chapter 1. Secondly, note the quality of standing uh, that Peter says the recipients have. So... In, uh, in verse 2 there, I'm sorry, uh, in, the, in, the, in the end part of verse 1, he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. So Peter the apostle, in fact, he's the head of the apostles, right, if we could say that. He, he's telling the church to whom he writes that you have a faith of equal standing with the apostles. By the grace of God, faith is obtained through the righteousness of Christ. There's, there's no room for boasting here, right? There's no two-tier Christianity, just humble acknowledgement that we are saved by a gracious God. And so as we move to verses 3 and 4 here, we find Peter expounding on the reality of salvation by grace through faith, for this is the foundation of his call for godly living later on in the chapter. The language of the verses uh, can be a little confusing, um, but we can summarize them maybe like this. 
through the understanding and relationship with Christ, or our knowledge, uh, we have been granted everything we need for spiritual life and godly living. So by Christ's unique qualities, or uh, as it's referenced here, his glory and excellencies, we are granted precious and very great promises. So these promises are not limited to, but they definitely include being partakers of his moral perfection or divine nature and escape from worldly corruption caused by sinful desires. So this is that gracious truth that is here, that we are graciously saved by God. So we think about this foundational truth. We can't help but see the grace that's involved in it. I mean, note the language here as we were walking through there of grant to us, right? Grant to us. That's passive, right? You don't grant to me, you know, somebody else grants to me. So this is a passive kind of language. We don't take it, we don't earn it, but we receive it. So what is granted to us here? Well, in verse 3, it's all things that pertain to life and godliness. Or salvation and sanctification, if we want to kind of use that terminology here. But what else is given? Well, what else is granted to us in verse 4 is his precious and very great promises. Or maybe we could say it this way, the benefits of salvation. Right? This moral perfection and escape from corruption. Now, when I, when I say moral perfection here, I'm talking about the wording of being partakers of the divine nature. Right? God's not deifying anyone here in this passage. Uh, we're not becoming little gods, for there is only one God, according to Deuteronomy 6.4. We are not becoming absorbed into God. That's an idea unknown to the Bible and it's derived from Eastern religions. Um, nor is it simply that we will live forever in his presence, although that is definitely true. Um, it's, it's not that. It's this moral perfection, uh, the, the moral perfection we have in Christ that we experience now in part, but we will experience in its fullness when Christ returns and writes all. So all things pertaining to life, spiritual life, are granted us by his divine power. So that's gifted to us. We receive that. This is not something we can do. We're dependent upon a gracious God and his power to do this. So, by what means do we get these things? Well, if we continue on and looking at this in verse 3, Peter tells us that they come through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. In, in other words, by knowing Christ, right? In, in kind of this relational and intellectual idea, this the Christ who calls us to himself. So he is putting his glory and his excellence on display or his unique qualities on display through the salvific work of saving men. So all this is to say that salvation of man is a gracious gift from God through Christ our Lord. This truth is fundamental in understanding the call of godly living that's going to follow here in verses 5 through 9. We cannot live godly lives without this gracious truth, that God saves for himself a people by granting them spiritual life and all that is needed for godliness. So, in other words, the godly life is not a possible apart from faith. 
For it is in salvation that God makes his godly life a reality. It makes this godly life a reality. So let's look at this godly life in verses 5 through 9. In verse 5, it starts off with these words, For this very reason. This indicates that what is to follow is the response to the truth that's just been stated, right? So there's this gracious truth that we are saved by God and it's his gracious work, his divine power that's done it. And so for that reason, for this reason, because that's true, this is going to be our response. Because of this salvation that's been lavished on us, we're going to respond by working, by laboring, by making every effort in verse 5 to supplement the faith that has been granted to us. All the while, we understand that everything pertaining to godliness has been granted to us or given to us. So this is not a picture of God starting a good work and then us coming along and finishing up, right? That's not what the picture is here. No, it's the truth of God's sovereignty and our responsibility. God's calling us to live a certain way, and then God is equipping us to do it. But this is no, this no way negates the reality that we must work or labor at what God's called us to. So to make the point, uh, in, uh, it's as if Peter's saying this. So we labor by supplementing our God-given faith with God-given virtue. And we supplement our God-given virtue with God-given knowledge. God-given knowledge with God-given self-control. God-given self-control with God-given steadfastness. God-given steadfastness with God-given godliness. God-given godliness with God-given brotherly affection. And God-given brotherly affection with God-given love. The list of virtues is not a list of qualities that you can muster up on your own accord. Yet at the same time, these are qualities that are not simply poured into us at the moment that we are saved. Uh, it's, it's not as if we have this perfect self-control the moment we repent of our sins, right? It, it would be great if that were the case, but uh, that's not what happens. Uh, or for the matter, that matter, uh, to have perfect godliness, which if that were the case, Peter's letter would be unnecessary. No, these qualities are given to us by God, but as he so often does, he uses a means to achieve his plan. So these qualities are God-given to us, they're granted to us, uh, but they're in no way, that in no way negates the effort of our labor. So a- another aspect of this list of virtues or qualities we should understand is that they are not necessarily in a particular order. It's not that we must first labor to achieve virtue before moving on to knowledge, etc., etc. No, the, the point is that all of these should be increasing in the life of a believer. Now, I, I don't think that... Now, <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know where that mic's at. But uh, anyway, now I I think uh, that there is importance in what is first and last in the list. Now, the the order of the other things in the list, I I think that's not necessarily importance. It's not as if this one comes and then this one comes, etc. It begins with faith, 
the qualities in the list are granted to us in Christ, so putting these qualities into practice requires that we first know Christ, right? We first must have faith, which has been granted to us by God. And so it ends with love, which is demanded in the two great commandments, right? When we think about Matthew 22, 37 through 39, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Our godly lives are to start with faith and culminate in God-given love. The qualities in between are not insignificant, for they are God-given responses to the gracious truth of salvation. These responses are virtue, right, as we look at this list, or moral excellency may be another way of looking at this. This is really, it's the same word that's used in verse 3 when it says, uh, who called us to his own glory and excellence, right? It's talking about his, his moral excellency or this call for us to have this moral excellency in our life, a life that is in accord with the excellency of Christ. This is what it, it looks like. So this is our response. God, you've saved me, you redeemed me, and so I live a life of moral excellence in the image of Christ or knowledge, Most likely it's referring to the knowledge of God's will and way, according to one commentator that I I would agree with. Um, And so it's not simply uh, downloading a bunch of information into your brain, but rather it is knowing God and his will and what he's called you to do. Um, And so we want to grow in that, growing in in his will and his ways, acknowledging our dependence upon him and his worthiness of worship. What else is there that's in the list? Well, self-control, right? Or, or resisting temptation, denying our own fleshly desires that God might be glorified. This points to the fact that God is more desirable than what the world has to offer. So he's, he's called us to, to supplement our faith with virtue or moral excellency, knowledge, self-control, uh, steadfastness, right? A faithfulness of endurance. Uh, for we are repeatedly called to persevere in the face of difficulties. So this displays a trust of God and his word. We, we supplement our faith with godliness or a life that bears witness to the goodness and greatness of God by being an image bearer. There's no better alternative, there's no greater reality than being like God for he is perfection in its infinite degree. And so we want our lives to look like him and we work to look like him and we can only do that why because all the things that pertain to godliness were granted to us by god and so that does happen and it is achievable not because of our own work but because of his work and yet we're called to work toward that to uh, supplement faith with godliness brotherly affection here on the list. This care for one another, and it really displays the goodness of being a part of the family of God, right? That that not only is it good to have relationship with God, but having relationship with God impacts others around us. As we interact with them, the love of God is seen pouring out through the love of us. It's that same idea as the two great commandments, loving God, and the, the outflow of loving God is loving your neighbor. And so even here, we're talking about the, the love of the family of God and the reality that it points to God's goodness and his greatness. And then he finishes that list up, culminating it with the word love, or walking in accordance with God's commandments, right? As Second John 6 would tell us. 
for God himself is love. So this is the kind of life we're called to live in the midst of a world, a a life that is filled with faith and a, a, a life that supplements that faith with moral excellency and knowledge of God and his ways and his will and self-control, resisting temptation, denying the desires of the world that God might be seen as more precious and more desirable, a steadfastness, a perseverance that says God can be trusted. We're called to live this life of godliness that looks different from the world around us, that puts on display his goodness and greatness, that we have this love for one another that again displays the overflow of God's love to those around us and in this love of God that is in accordance with his commands. And so this is the life we live in a world that is hostile to God and the gospel. These qualities, we're told in verse 8, will keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will not be like the laborers who stand in the marketplace all day without a job, right? Our understanding and relationship with Christ will be productive and it will be fruitful. Our lives will be in accord with the will of God and be fulfilling. If these qualities are lacking, this list of virtues is lacking in our life, it's because we've forgotten the gracious truth that their godly life is founded upon, according to verse 9. And so when somebody lives as if these virtues are unimportant or they lack in their life, it's because it's like they're blinded and they, they don't see the fact that they've been saved and redeemed from their sin. Peter's calling the church to live in response to the truth of the gracious salvation given to us by God. So don't live as one who is blind to what God has done. Don't live forgetting the gracious God who redeemed for himself a people. Can a person truly be trusting in Christ and the grace of God and forget that he or she is cleansed from their sin? The godly life gives evidence to the gracious truth. And then in this final section, in verses 10 through 15, we're reminded of a glorious end. Peter calls the church to be diligent in confirming their salvation, right? He says you're calling an election, this kind of summed together as your salvation. And so you need to be diligent in confirming that. What does that look like? He points to the truth that those who practice these qualities, who have these virtues in this list, who live godly lives, will never stumble or fall. There's a surety of a glorious end because of a godly life that is evidence of a gracious truth. So the faith works through love, as we see in Galatians 5, 6, and that's kind of the picture here is this this faith we have and and the, the virtues that are in there and the love that it's at the end. We see this faith working through love, God developing these things in our life, this godly lifestyle that points to him, which richly provides for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So things may be difficult in the world now, But this is not always to be the case. These momentary afflictions will pale in comparison to the glory of the eternal kingdom. So it's for this reason that Peter reminds the church of these qualities, these virtues of the godly life. Peter's thinking of his glorious end, and it's quickly approaching, he tells us here in this latter section, right? In verses 12 through 15, if you'll look there, he is reminding the church that something 
they, of something they already know, yet it's of great importance. Right? Let me remind you of this, but it's, I, I know you know it, but it's important, and so I'm going to refresh your memory on it. As he looks at the end of his life soon in verse 14, he writes to remind them of the truth that godly lives flow out of the gracious truth of God's glorious salvation. So he's calling them to don't give up. Don't give in. Be found faithful. Be stirred up to godly living. Peter's, he's stirring the pot of discipleship within the church. Even as his glorious end is imminent, he's doing the work of a shepherd. So he reminds them in verse 12, right? He stirs them up in verse 14. He helps them to recall in verse 15 what is so very important. The glorious truth of salvation and the godly life which gives evidence to it. You know, I like to eat. You don't get this shape without enjoying food. Um, and so I enjoy when I get home after work and I walk in the house uh, and there's just there's a good meal cooking, right? And so I walk into the kitchen, and, and our house is great because I can walk in the front door and the, it's kind of open, you know, so the smells from the kitchen are all through the house already, uh, which is even worse for my health. Uh, and so you, you walk in there and, and you smell the, the food that's cooking, and, and you get into the kitchen just about the time that, that Carrie raises the, the, the lid on the stew, right? And she takes the wooden spatula, stirs the stew, and all those ingredients are mixed together, and those flavors are mixed together, and, and that smell is just so good. Uh, but, but it's not stew because of the smell, right? The smell in, is indicative of the ingredients in the stew, but it's not even ultimately satisfactory. I can smell stew all day, but I really want to eat stew. Right? It's partaking of the stew that is satisfying. And this is, this is kind of what Peter's doing here in the opening chapter of his letter. He's stirring the church up. You know, just as you'd stir that stew, those, those ingredients together, that that aroma might, might, might be released, right? That we smell all that goodness as, as we stir those things. And that's what he's calling the church. So he's stirring them up calling them to discipleship. He's reminding us of the gracious truth that is foundational to life now and forever, or the ingredients of the stew, if you will, that all that pertains to life and godliness has been granted to us through Christ in this relational, intellectual sense. And so he has granted us his precious and very good promises by the glory and excellence of Christ, which leads to us being partakers of his divine nature, his moral perfection, escaping the corruption that is in the world. Thus we live a godly life in response to the gracious truth. It is the confirmation of our salvation, not the cause of it. We think about 2 Corinthians 15, 16, right? Where, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, and the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? And that's our godly life is like that. It's this fragrant aroma. It points others towards God. It's the result of the ingredients that were, are in, within us. And so as God has graciously saved us, the evidence of that is the aroma of Christ, the godliness in the lifestyle we live. 
So starting with faith, which is granted to us from God, we implement the excellencies given us, virtue, knowledge, self-control, godliness, brotherly affection, which culminates in love, right? Or to think of it more simply, since we have been saved by God, the confirmation of our salvation can be seen in our bearing his image. Think of John 13, 34 and 35, where it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, have love for one another. So thus, we can be confident of a glorious end, evidenced by a godly life in response to a gracious truth. So we will enter the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as Peter has before us. So let me say to you this morning, do not lose heart. Do not think your faithfulness to God is unimportant. Do not give in to the pressure to conform to the world around you because there is a glorious end in store for all who respond to the gracious truth with a godly life granted to us by our Savior. And so let me ask you this morning, are you a partaker of the divine nature? Have you escaped the corruption of the world by trusting in Christ and Him alone for salvation? These great and glorious promises are granted to us in Christ, but you must respond. You must repent of your rebellion and disobedience. You must know that you you must trust in Christ and His work alone to save you. Trust in Him. Call on Him and be saved today. Believers, if you're here this morning... Are these qualities abounding in you? For that's, that's really the, the language used there in the Greek is of these qualities abounding in our life. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. If so, if those are abounding, glorify God for the work he's doing in your life. Give him praise for that. Are you lacking in these qualities? Be stirred up. Be stirred by what Peter says here. Remember the gracious truth of salvation. Be reminded that God has granted you all things pertaining to godliness. Don't wander around blind. Know that in Christ you have been cleansed of your sins. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you we're not left wondering how we are to live, what we are to do. You and your excellencies and your greatness and your omnipotence and all-knowing ways, you, you know what we need. You know our temptations. You know our desires. God, you know the reality of living in a world that presses us to conform to it, that says live like us, don't worry about God. It's hateful to call people to obey Him. It's unloving. It's bigoted. Father, may we know the truth that comes from You. That true love is obeying Your commandments. God, that You've called us to obey You and You've equipped us to obey. 
You've called us and elected us and made us your own. You've given us all things that pertain to that eternal life, that pertain to godly living. And so, God, may we live faithfully with confidence because, Lord, it is not dependent upon us to make these virtues. God, we can live in full assurance that the Holy Spirit is bringing these things to pass in our life. And so, for God, God, may we work to see that accomplished. May we know that you use a means to do your work. And Lord, may we give you glory every step of the way, knowing that these things are not saving us, they're not redeeming us, but they are pointing to you, a great Savior and a great Redeemer. And so Lord, may our lives give testimony to your goodness and your greatness and the gracious salvation that you have given to us, to your glory and to your honor. And Father, if we're struggling today, to follow you. Lord, may we persevere. May we trust in you. May we know that you that have began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And Lord, may we confidently depend upon you. And Lord, may we labor and may we work and may you be glorified. Father, I pray for those that don't know you this morning. I pray that they would place their trust in Christ alone for salvation. I pray that they would know that there is no hope of in life or death other than in Christ. Father, we love you this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.